we started this series, Battlefield, about a week ago. That was for them. They told me to do that. I'm sorry. I want to apologize. I don't even know what that means. Um, yeah, we started this series uh, called Battlefield. And uh, if you missed it last week and you weren't able, weren't able to be here, I got some really good news for you. We actually have that talk and many others up uh, on our website, and there's a podcast as well. You can go to 12stone.com slash h12stonesl. Uh, the way that we do these series is that we talk about a certain topic for about four weeks, and each of the weeks kind of builds on one another. So if you missed last week, then tonight might not make quite as much sense uh, for you. So if at any point uh, during today you're like, what's he talking about, then definitely go listen to that and uh, if you fall asleep tonight but you still want to listen to the message then it's cool because you can go there as well because tonight's message will be up there too so uh, as we started this series this was kind of our bottom line main idea of battlefield is the struggle is real all right the struggle is real this is this is something that you feel because like you know because they messed up your starbucks order right and you're like ah this struggle is real the struggle's real, or maybe for you, something with school and your teacher keeps on piling up work, or you've got that group project you got to do, but the other three people aren't really doing anything, so it's all on you. And so you're feeling like the struggle, the struggle is real. And chances are, you've probably like texted this, tweeted this, said this, retweeted, whatever. This has been a part of your life before, where you felt a struggle before, and so you've said something like the struggle is real. And last week, we said not only is the struggle real, but the struggle is spiritual, in other words, like there's a struggle that you're going through and that I'm going through and that you're going through and we're all going through different struggles, but underneath that struggle, there's a spiritual reality that you and I don't see. And that as we struggle, it's not just about him, it's not just about her, it's not just about the things that you're going through, there's actually something deeper at play. And then we even said this, we said, your enemy, your enemy is not who you think it is. Because a lot of times when we get into a struggle with our parents or our friends, then we think, we think the enemy is our parents, right? You think the enemy is your teacher, or maybe you think the enemy is him or her. It's your friend. It's your best friend. It's your ex-best friend. It's the girl that's lying about you. It's the girl that's gossiping about you. And we often think that that is our enemy, but your enemy is not who you think it is. Right? It's not who you think it is. And many of you might have walked away from last week and said, okay, okay, I get it, I get it, but like, who is our enemy? Right? We all kind of got to the same page that there is a struggle going on, but maybe for you, you're like, who is, who is our enemy? And maybe for those of you that have like grown up in church or the whole God thing is something that you've studied before, maybe you kind of read ahead a little bit and you were like, I think I know the answer to this. I think, I, I think that our enemy Maybe he's referring to like the devil, right? Or to like, like, is he referring to the devil or Satan? And the answer to that question is yes. It's exactly who I'm referring to. Last week we talked about who your enemy is not. Tonight we're going to talk about who your enemy actually is. So when you think of the devil or Satan or whatever you want to call him, chances are you think of something maybe like this, right? That this is kind of one idea we get for the devil. He's red. He's got a pointy tail, and uh, he's got a bow tie, right, because he's a upper class, you know, upper class devil. Uh, also, he's got a pitchfork, and I never really know why 
you know, maybe because he's got some bales of hay that he's trying to get rid of or something. But, but, but this is kind of maybe one picture you get that when you think of the devil, when you think of Satan, maybe this is kind of the idea that you get. And for this one, he's like kind of happy too. You know, he's giving you that look like, hey, what's up? Um, so, that, so that's one idea. Maybe for you, when you think of the devil, you think of something like this. Like a dude in red tights, right, that should never be wearing, wearing red tights. By the way, uh, I think even if he wasn't wearing that, he would still creep me out. You know what I'm saying? Like if he wasn't wearing the red tights, I would be crazy, crazy. Um, and, and, and by not wearing red tights, I mean he's wearing other clothes, okay? So don't get the wrong idea. Uh, anyways, I think it's the goatee. People automatically become a little bit more evil when they have a goatee, right? And he's got it. Uh, and then he's got the horns and all that stuff. No offense, Tony, wherever Tony's at. He's not evil. Um, he's like, yeah, I am. Uh, maybe for you, when you think of the devil, maybe you think of this right here. Right? Those of you that just said, aw, you're wrong. You're wrong. Um, how many of you in this room are like, yeah, yeah, I think cats are the devil? Anyone, anyone of that mindset? We got some smart people in the room. Smart people. By the way, if you're a cat lover and you're like, aw, I love cats, so cute. I'm here today to tell you the truth, and the truth is that may be the devil. And I'm trying to save you from a life of you having about 30 of these roaming around in your house. Okay, I don't want you to be a cat lady, a creepy cat lady when you grow up. So this is an intervention moment. This is intervention for you. And then, and then the thing is, like, like, like when it comes to like Satan or the devil, I don't know why, but there's some parents that feel like it's totally cool and totally normal to dress up their little babies that can't make decisions for themselves. Yeah, and so here's, here's one uh, example of that. Aw. Right? How cute, how cute little Timmy, cute little like one-year-old Timmy is dressed up as the spawn of Satan. There's something wrong there. Like those are bad parents. Someone should call defects right now. Okay, this kid, we should pray for him. We should pray for him because like 30 years from now, he's going to be lying down on a couch talking to someone and saying, I think it started when they called me the devil, right? Like that's, this is, this is, this is bad. This is bad. But see, for you, chances are you've got kind of this idea of who the devil is or what he kind of looks like. And I think Satan kind of looks like this. And truthfully, truthfully, we, we get these like weird ideas of who the devil is. And they're so like fanciful and they're so kind of like cartoony that for many of you in the room, you've just assumed that he's not real, right? That, that, that he, like, there's no way he can exist. Like, in your mind, Satan is kind of the same thing as, like, the Easter bunny or a leprechaun. Like, it's a really good idea, but it's not quite, it's not quite real. In fact, I did some research. I found this stat that uh, 60% of Christians, okay, so these are po uh, people that follow after Jesus, 60% of Christians in the U.S. don't think Satan is real. That, that, that when you talk to people here in the U.S. that are following after Jesus and they love Jesus, yes they do, and they're all about Jesus, and they come to things like H12 or 12 Stone, if you ask 60% of them, say he's not real. And maybe for you, if we would be honest, maybe you fall on that 60%, right? Maybe, maybe in your mind you're like, yeah, I just, I mean, the whole Satan thing is kind of a stretch, Right? Like, it, it's, it's just, 
Like, I think we're too smart for that. I think we're all a little bit too sophisticated. I, I, I think we've moved beyond Satan. I don't quite think he's real. And the problem with this idea is as you look in Scripture, you just can't get away from the guy. It seems like all over Scripture, Satan is mentioned all over the place. In fact, I did about an hour, two hours worth of research, and I found out that like Satan is mentioned by name in 27 books of the Bible. Here are the 27 different books of the Bible that mention him by name. And then there's many other books of the Bible that actually refer to him, but they don't quite say his name. But these are the ones that specifically call him out by name. In fact, the very first book of the Bible that was ever written was a book by the name of Job. It looks like Job, but it's pronounced Job. I don't know why you should ask him. Uh, anyways, it's about this guy named Job, and there's three main characters in Job. It's Job, God, and Satan. So here in the very first piece of scripture ever written, one of the main characters, not just mentioned, but the main character is Satan. And then, then in the very last book of the Bible ever written, many of you know this, Revelation, we have Satan appearing again, and not only does he appear, but he's a main character as well. And then you've got Jesus, Son of God, who walked around on earth, and Jesus, who had all the knowledge of his heavenly Father. Jesus couldn't stop talking about him either. In fact, in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus refers to Satan by name. Son of God refers to him. And not only does Jesus do that, but all the followers of Jesus mention Satan. So as you look in Scripture, as you look at these spiritual experts, every single one of them agree that Satan is real. And eventually we come to this conclusion, that belief does not determine existence. Belief does not determine existence. Here's what I mean. Um, your belief, your belief in something is not going to bring it into existence and it will not keep it from existing. No matter how hard you believe something, it is not going to stop something from existing and it will not bring something into existence. In fact, you can sit there right now uh, where you're at and you can believe with all of your heart that I don't exist, but I'm still here. And it doesn't matter how bad you want to believe this. In fact, you can get your 10 friends together and you can all like believe really hard that Steve doesn't exist, but I ain't going nowhere, right? Because belief does not determine existence. Some of you have done this with like your ex-girlfriend, right? You really want to believe she's not real. Too bad. She's real. And yes, she still is in your class. You know what I'm saying? Like, no matter how hard you believe, no matter how hard you wish, no matter how many friends you get together and say, I don't think she's real, she's real. She's real. Because belief, your belief, your belief does not determine existence. As we look throughout Scripture, as you look at the spiritual experts, as you look at the life of Jesus, as you look at the people that followed Jesus, every single one of them, without a doubt, believed that Satan was real. So maybe, maybe, maybe the thing that needs to change is not whether or not he exists, but our belief. Maybe for those of you in the room that are doubting, maybe today is the day that you begin to realize that your belief, no matter how hard you believe it, does not change his existence. See, and, 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 and even, this is, why, this is why Paul, like the follower of Jesus, actually meant, mentioned Satan by name. The reason he did that is because when we're talking about our struggle, our spiritual struggle, there's something beneath the surface, and it's a spiritual reality that you and I don't see. 
And underneath that spiritual reality is an enemy. He's the one that's behind it. And so Paul specifically referred to him. And so if, if it's true, if it's true that, that Satan is actually real, if it's true that Satan's actually real, I think the other thing that you and I need to determine is just how big he is. Because see, there's many of you in the room that like you, um, uh, I, I, I follow you on Twitter and I, I don't know if you realize that I actually like read the stuff that you post. If you ever like doubted that, you're like, I don't think he does. I do. Um, I do. And, uh, and it's so fun because there's some of you that are like super like fired up about Jesus, which is amazing. And I love that. Uh, but there's some of you that have like tweeted something along these lines, like, like the devil's trying to get me down, you know, bring it on devil. Bring it on, Satan. I got this. You ain't got nothing on me. Come on, bring it on, Satan. And, uh, and I read those tweets, and I'm like, I don't think you want that. Like I, like, like, I don't actually think that's what you want, like, if you really understood. Because a lot of times, we, see, we think, we think that, like, we are kind of equal on the same playing field as our enemy. But the sad truth for tonight is that not only is the spiritual or is the struggle spiritual, and not only is there an enemy behind all of your struggles, but your enemy is bigger than you. Your enemy is bigger than you. In other words, if there was like an arm wrestling competition between you and the devil, he would win, hands down. It's not even a question. It's not even a question. And so tonight, if it's true that the devil is real, and if it's true that our enemy is actually bigger than us, then the question is, what do you do? What do you do when your enemy is bigger than you? What do you do when the enemy that you're facing that's real is actually bigger than you? And so this, this is why Paul spoke about him specifically in Ephesians chapter 6. So I'd love to invite you to go ahead, grab your Bible. It should be like right underneath you or maybe up on the tables right here. We also got some beside you as well. I want you to go ahead, grab your Bibles, and I want to look together at Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to look at page 1,177. Page 1,177. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6. And you might remember this from last week, right? That You might remember this, that, that, that the people that Paul was writing to was actually a lot like a lot like H12. There are people that all got together and they love Jesus and Paul was writing to them to let them know that the struggles they're having with their friend, their best friend, their ex-best friend, that those struggles are not just between them, that the struggles are spiritual. And then in Ephesians 6, he kind of sums it up and this is what he says. Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. He says, finally, Finally, in light of all the stuff that I just told you, finally, I want you to be strong in the Lord. And by the way, this is a verse that we read last week, and this is kind of the thesis statement for all of Ephesians 6. This is what it means to follow after God, is to be strong in the Lord. Not in yourself, not in H12, not in your friend, but to be strong in the Lord. That your strength in the struggle is not you. It's not me. It's the Lord. So he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And then he goes on to explain what that actually means. He says, so here's what I want you to do. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The devil's schemes. 
Because again, he's reminding you right here. He's saying, look, I need you to know that underneath the surface, there is a spiritual reality. And the enemy behind that is the devil. Now, what you may not have known is that according to these verses, the devil is a schemer. He's a schemer, right? You thought it was just you. You thought it was just your friends, right? You got, you got hashtag green team, scheme team, right? Well, we got, we got here hashtag Satan scheme, okay? That's what's happening right here. You're not the only one that's scheming. You're not. See, there's someone else that's scheming too. And chances are, chances are if you're in this room and you're a schemer, which like half of you are, and that's totally fine, then chances are there's a pattern to your scheming, right? There's a pattern that we could follow to watch how you scheme. Maybe, maybe for some of you, maybe for some of you, this is the way that you scheme, right? You just, uh, you just, you just happen to be around her group of friends, right? You just, you just happen to be near her. You just, you just happen to be like in the picture with her. Maybe, maybe you just happen to sit down right next to her, right? And then you just happen to strike up a conversation, and it just so happens that her favorite band is your favorite band too. Oh, wow. Where did that come from, right? And, and it just so happens that, guys, for whatever reason, your favorite movie is The Fault in Our Stars too. Wow. And so you start scheming. You start scheming away, you start talking to her, and before you know it, you're sliding into the DMs, you know? And hey, I get it. It's happening. Right? Because, because, because there's a pattern, because there's a pattern to your scheming, right? There's a way that you scheme, and the end result of you scheming is that you eventually get with the girl, you eventually get to talk with the girl, or you eventually start a relationship with a girl, but you've got an end game in mind, and so you start scheming, and you start plotting, and you come up with ways to be around her, to know stuff about her, until finally, finally, you can scheme. And your enemy schemes too. But see, but see the bad part is the result of your scheming is the relationship Right? It's a relationship that starts. But the result of his scheming is more struggle and more heartache and more frustration and more depression and more broken hearts, more broken families, more broken relationships. That's the result of his scheming. And see, in the same way that you actually have a pattern to your scheming, Satan has a pattern as well. In fact, Jesus, Son of God, actually outlined what his pattern was. He was talking to his disciples. And he said, I need you to know, I need you to know that there is a certain pattern to his scheming. And this is what he says in John chapter 8. He says, there is no truth in him. Talking about the devil. He says, when he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. And so when it comes to the way that he schemes, the primary way that your enemy, your spiritual enemy, the person behind all of your spiritual struggles, the way that your enemy lies or the way that your enemy schemes is by lying. And here's the really bad part about it. 
his lies are so good that you don't even know they're lies. See, for many of you, you're believing his lies, but you thought they were true. In fact, you've, you've moved forward in life and you've made decisions based on things that you thought were true, but they were actually a lie from your enemy. His lies are incredibly believable. In fact, here's just a few of them. Maybe for you, you've believed this. I'll never be good enough. Maybe you heard that um, from your dad. Maybe you heard it from a teacher. Maybe you heard it from a friend or a person that you were dating. And then you started to believe this. I'll never be good enough. And you started believing it so much that you thought it was true, even though this is a lie. Maybe for you, you, uh, you've been believing God could never forgive that. Maybe there's like some of you in the room that like you're super excited about Jesus and you've been following after Jesus and you love coming to H12 and you love raising your hands, but you would just rather not think about your past, right? You just want to move forward from this point on because every time you think about your past, you, you think this. God could never forgive that. You think about two years ago, or three years ago, or maybe even last year, six months ago, and you start thinking there's no way that God could forgive that. Maybe, maybe you're even thinking that I've been hiding this from God and if God ever knew, if God ever knew, he would never forgive me. Maybe that's the lie you're believing. Maybe there's some of you in the room that believe this. The temptation is too tough. I have to give in. Steve, Steve the temptation is too tough, man. It's it, like, do you know how difficult it is to be a 16-year-old guy? Do you know how difficult it is to be a 15-year-old girl? The temptation is too much. It's too tough. I can't do this. Steve, if anyone was in my situation, they would have given in too. I have to give in. I have no other choice. And that's a lie. It's a lie that you believe. Maybe for some of you, you believe the lie, it's only this one time. It's, it's just, like I know I shouldn't do this, but it's just this one time. I'm not going to do it again, I promise. It's, it's, it's just this one time. But it never is. Because that's a lie. Or maybe, um, maybe there's some of you in the room that think no one could ever love me. And maybe you believe this because when you think about your dad and you think about the fact that you left, you think if my own dad can't even love me, then how can I expect anyone else to love me? Maybe you're thinking about your mom. Or you're thinking about a best friend and you guys have completely split up and you no longer talk to her. You think if she, who knows all this stuff about me, can't even love me, then how can anyone else love me? How could God, how could God love me? And so these are the lies that we believe. Because the primary way that your enemy attacks you, the primary way that he schemes is by lying. And the worst part is, believing his lies will ruin your life. Believing his lies will ruin your life. In fact, many of you, maybe you relate to some of these lies, and you've seen how believing that lie has started to make your life decay. And things that once brought you joy now bring you depression. And it's frustrating and it's upsetting. Because believing his lies will ruin your life. And this is true every time. Believing his lies, the lies of the enemy, will ruin your life. 
I, um, my grandmother on my dad's side uh, is 86 years old, which is awesome. She's great. Uh, we, uh, we call her Grammy, or at least that's what I call her, and, and, and my brothers call her Grammy. Uh, how many of you call your grandmother Grammy? Does anyone else do that? Yeah. I uh, also, I spell, I spell Grammy, G-R-A-M-M-Y, and I learned recently that that's not correct. That's like a musical award that you give out. That you're supposed to spell Grammy I-E, okay? But I didn't know that, so, um, so I still spell it G-R-A-M-M-Y. And uh, my grandmother, who's, uh, who's 86 years old, um, her husband, my grandfather, uh, passed away about, about three years ago. And uh, he, he loved my grandmother. He loved us, all of his grandkids. And his passing was incredibly, incredibly difficult for us. He was kind of the patriarch of the family. Um, well, a few months after he passed away, uh, Grammy, my grandmother, got a phone call. And the guy on the other end of the phone call, when she answered, said, Hey, Grammy, do you know who this is? And as my grandmother listened, it sounded a lot like my voice. And so she said, uh, is this Steve? And he said, yeah, yeah, it's Steve. He said, um, hey, Grammy, I I'm in trouble. And I need help. Um, I, I, I called you because I was afraid to call mom and dad, and I didn't know how they would respond. But I'm actually, I, I'm actually stuck in Mexico. I'm stuck in Mexico, and I don't have any money, and I can't get home, and I need you to send me some money. And, you know, at most of you um, that have grandmothers, most of your grandmothers would be willing to do anything for you. And so my grandmother, believing that it was me on the other end of the phone, said, yeah, I, I, like, what do I need to do? I want to help you out. And so the guy said, well, um, I need you to, like, wire me some money. And it wasn't a small amount of money. Um, he asked her to wire him $4,000, and she did it. And then she got a call back from him, and he said, Hey, Grammy, um, I got your money. Thank you so much. I actually need just a little bit more um, because it's just not quite enough to get me home, but once I get this, then I should be coming home. And so he asked her to send another $2,000. And she did. And uh, <laughs> as a side note, it makes me sick to think about this guy. I don't know who it is. Uh, that he would pray on my grandmother who just lost her husband. That he would steal $6,000 from her. That he would take advantage of her. That he would study her to know the things to say. To then take that money from her. And see, because she believed his lies, it costs her. It costs her greatly. And when you believe the lies of the enemy, it will cost you. Because your enemy is studying you. And he is out to get you. And he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that is his mission. And when you believe his lies, it will ruin your life. Every time. Every time. And the worst part is our enemy is bigger than us. And his lies are incredibly believable. 
So we've got an enemy who's behind all of the struggles that we go through. There's a spiritual war going on. There's a spiritual battle. And all the struggles that you feel, he's the one that's behind it. And his lies are so good that you believe it. And he's bigger than you. But he is not bigger than God. And yes, it's true that he is bigger than you, but he is not bigger than God. And see, a lot of times we get this confused. And in fact, this is one of the main lies that we believe. We believe that like God and Satan are on the same playing field, that they're just kind of like two sides of the same coin. You know, that it's like you got the good God and that's your heavenly father. And then you got the bad God and that's Satan. And they're, they're kind of in this like cosmic wrestling match. And we don't know who's going to win because they're pretty evenly matched. And it's been going on for a while. And so we don't know if God's going to win or if Satan's going to win because they're pretty much neck and neck. And that is a lie. That is a lie. See, the truth is this. God is greater than your enemy. God is greater than your enemy. In fact, there is no contest. Like, it's not even funny how much greater God is than your enemy. God is eternal. Your enemy is not. God is all-powerful. There is nothing he can't do. Your enemy is not. God is all-knowing. He knows all things. He is wiser than anyone else. Your enemy is not. God is everywhere all at once, and your enemy is not. God is the victor, and your enemy is not. See, when Jesus came to this earth and he died on the cross, and then three days later he rose again, you know what he did? He proved to us that God is greater, that God is greater than death, that God is greater than the agony that you feel and that he is greater than your enemy. Jesus conquered death and he conquered Satan. And your enemy is bigger than you. But he is not greater than God. And see, there are some lies that you and I believe. And on your own, you don't stand a chance against your enemy. You don't. But, but, God is bigger, and God is greater, and the truth of God beats out the lies of the enemy. Lies like, lies like, I'll never be good enough. Lies like, I'll never be good enough. Because see, then God comes in, and through the Apostle Paul in Colossians 1.12, he starts talking about God and he says, For God has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. That's you and that's me. God has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. So if you're asking, am I good enough? God has qualified you. You are a saint in God's eyes if you're trusting Jesus. See, that's a lie. And the truth is he's qualified us. He's qualified us. And the lie, God could never forgive that. As you think back to like something you did six months ago or a year ago or two years ago, and you don't even want to think about it because you're so afraid because you believe this lie that God could never forgive that. Then Paul steps in Romans 8, 1, and he delivers the truth of God. And he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's none. You're not guilty. You're not condemned. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. The Apostle John says, if, if we 
confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. In fact, when Jesus was dying on the cross, he looked out at the crowd and he looks out at you too and he says this same thing. He says, Father, forgive them. So the idea that God could never forgive that, that's just not true. Forgiveness was made available through Jesus and that is the truth. Some of you are wrestling with this temptation and I don't know if it's like the temptation, maybe for some of you guys it's lust and you're trying your hardest to defeat it and you've got like the, the, the um, web filter up and you've got an accountability partner but there are moments in your life where you're like, the temptation is too tough. I, th- th- it's impossible for anyone to defeat this. That's a lie. Because see, Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, says, no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. And here's the best part, God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. And that's true. It's true for you. It's true for you. That no matter what temptation you're going through, God can provide a way out so that you can stand up under it every time. Maybe for you, it's, it's the thought of, it, it's only this one time. It's, it's, just, it's just this, I, I'm only gonna do this this one time. But then James, the brother of Jesus, steps in. He says, you've got a desire, and when that desire gives birth to sin, and then sin keeps on growing up, and when it's fully grown, it leads to death. It's never just this one time. See, the truth of God is greater than the lies of the enemy. And then finally, no one could ever love me. And I think, for whatever reason, this is the lie that many of you believe more than anything else. That deep down in your soul, you think no one could ever love you. And when you think of God, you, th- you think, well, of course not him. God could never love me. If my own dad can't love me, then how can my heavenly father love me? If my best friend won't hang out with me, then how could God love me? <laughs> but, then, but then John steps in. John, a follower of Jesus, and he recorded words of Jesus. And Jesus was talking to his disciples. And in John 15, 13, he says, Greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus laid down his life for you. In fact, that same author, many, many, many years later, as he's reflecting on his life and thinking about all the stuff that God has done, he's writing a letter and he kind of takes a step aside from that letter and he says, how great is the love that the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God and that is what we are. God's love for you is great and he proved it by sending Jesus to die for you. See, God is greater than your enemy and the truth of God is greater than the lies that you and I believe. See, you, on your own, you cannot defeat your enemy. But Jesus says this. Jesus says the one who is in you, referring to God, is greater than the one who's in the world. That if you have accepted Jesus as your Savior, God lives inside of you. And the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. 
And all of these verses that we've been talking about are actually listed there uh, in your in your teaching notes, and so you can take those home. And here's what I would say. If you're struggling with one of these lies, then tonight what you need to do is you need to memorize. You need to memorize these things. Maybe for you, you're struggling with temptation and you think there's no way I can defeat it. And the moment you start believing that lie, the moment the enemy starts whispering in your ear, then you know what you can tell him? You can say, there's no temptation that sees me except that which is common to man. Because God is faithful and he will not let me be tempted beyond what I can bear. But when I am tempted, he will provide a way out so I can stand up under it. And you need to know this truth because God is greater than your enemy. And the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. Let me pray for you. God, I believe. I believe it's true that you are greater. And even though we're so tempted and so easily swayed into believing the lies of the enemy, I pray that tonight um, chains would be broken. That tonight people who may not have even realized that they've been lied to, maybe they didn't even realize that they had believed these lies. That tonight they would understand the truth of their enemy. And God, I pray that they would know that you are greater and that the one who is in them is greater than the one who's in the world. Because the truth is, God, there's no one higher than you. There's no one greater than you. There's no one that even comes close. No one is as eternal as you. No one is as all-knowing as you. There's nothing that compares to you. You are holy. You are set apart. And we don't even stand a chance against our enemy, but greater is the one who is in us than the one who is in the world. And we believe that tonight. And so I ask as these students get ready to sing to you that you would solidify this truth to their heart that there is no one greater, no one greater than you. In Jesus' name.